Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Mark chapter 4. And if you recall, I hope you recall, that's where we were last week. Mark chapter 4. We ministered on the parable of the sower. We talked about four different scenarios, four sower scenarios, sowing scenarios. Amen. The parable of the sower identifies that there are those that the seed falls by the wayside and we don't even pick it up. We don't even respond immediately, but there is someone that's responding to come steal it, to come take it. So if you leave it sitting around on the wayside, he's gonna come pick it up and it's not gonna do any benefit to you. We saw that there are those that responded immediately with joy, but because they didn't allow it to take root and they didn't go through and endure the process of the word rooting within them, as soon as the sun scorched or the sun came up, it scorched it. it. It caused the plant to not grow because there wasn't enough root. Then we saw that there were those where the, sun, the, the word was received with joy, but there were things of the world, deceitfulness of riches, riches selfishness that came up and choked out the word because they didn't eliminate the things in their life that would compromise or be contrary to the word of God. What you receive has to also be countered with what you get rid of, with what you eliminate from your life. And if we don't eliminate the things that need to be eliminated from our life, then the word will get choked out. It's not that the word wasn't preached. It's not that the word wasn't powerful. It's not that the word can't change your life. It's that you've allowed things, you've tolerated, you've accepted things into your life that'll compromise the effectiveness of the word. But the word was also sown on good ground, good soil. I hope that's everybody in this room. They received it with joy, but then they applied it. They practiced it. They put it into application in their lives. And it says that that ground, that fruit, or that tree became fruitful, 30, 60. And a hundredfold. And I want to continue on with what Jesus is ministering here about the application of the word and about the response to the word. As we keep going here in Mark chapter 4, I want to jump down to verse 33. He gives a few more parables and a a few more stories. The parable of the mustard seed and and the parable of the growing seed. And in verse 33, it follows up and he says this. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these as they were able to understand. Notice that. Understand. As they were able to understand. It's not the word that you hear. It's the word that you understand that will produce fruit in your lives. It's not, the, it's not just the matter of hearing. It's not just the, the matter of listening. It's not just the going through the motions of coming to church and sitting on the, on the row and, and, and taking the notes and writing them down. And it's, it's the understanding and then the application of what you understand that causes the word to become fruitful in our lives. It says, as they were understand. So it wasn't up to Jesus' ability to say it, as much as it was the people's ability to hear it, understand it, and then apply it and put it into practice. Amen. I've said this before, but there are 
multiple parties working here. As I'm ministering to you, I am speaking the word of God. I'm presenting the word of God. I'm preaching the word of God, proclaiming the word of God. But you are there as a party responsible for hearing and receiving the word of God. I don't pray only that God will grant me the the words and the wisdom and the gift and the ability to preach the word. I also pray for your ability to hear and receive the word. Amen. I've prepared all week for this message. I have been in study. I have, but what have you done to prepare yourself to receive it, to hear it, to draw on it? That's a responsible party. And then the most amazing part of it all is the third person that's involved. That's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will empower me to speak the words that you need to hear. And he'll empower you to hear the words that you need to hear. And if you call upon the Holy Spirit right now or in the car on the way here, or if you'll just stop going through the motions and stop going through the formality and allow the Holy Spirit to assist you, it's the Bible says he is the revealer of truth. He's the reveal. You need the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and to illuminate you to what is being spoken today. You will not get it because you came and you sat here. You will not get it because you drove here. You'll not get it because you wrote it down. You'll not get it because you highlighted your Bible. You'll not get it because you got the tape or you listened to the CD or you went back online and listened again. You'll get it because the Holy Spirit opens and illuminates your mind and your heart to the Word of God. The Bible says that that, that the word of God is not naturally discerned, not naturally understood. We need the Holy Spirit's assistance for him to open up the scripture to us. Hearing the same thing we've always heard, but seeing it differently. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's supposed to do. It says, as they were able to understand. Father, I pray that we are able to understand today by your Holy Spirit. And verse 34 says, he did not speak to them without a parable. Now remember, we went back. We saw last week, why did he speak to them in parables? He said, because some have ears, but they're not ready to hear. And some have eyes, but they're not ready to to see or to perceive. And so he spoke to them in parables, not to hide something from them. But notice that a mystery reveals value. I'll say that again. A mystery reveals value. Jesus said this one time. He said, we do not cast pearls before swine. What did he mean by that? He meant, I'm not going to take something of value and just lay it out where it's easy to get and easy to grasp without any involvement on your part to go after it, to buy into it, to discover it, When there's a mystery, it reveals some of you have lost things years ago that you thought might have been valuable. But the fact that you didn't keep the search up tells us otherwise. It's still lost. It's still in that closet somewhere. It's still, I don't know, it's somewhere around here. You know, yeah, I miss it. No, you don't. If you missed it, you wouldn't be sleeping at night until you found it. Come on, he gives a pearl. 
He, he gives a parable of a pearl of great price, and he says that that, that woman, man, she went everywhere looking over every corner with a fine-tooth comb looking for the pearl of great price. Why? Because when it's really of value, then you'll work to discover. You'll work to find. He says we speak to them in parables. Not to hide it, but to determine how badly do you want it. How badly will you go after it? How badly will you search for it? I won't relent until I get a hold of it. You ever been in that place with God? God, I am not getting up until you show me what I'm supposed to do. I'm not taking a step until you show me where I'm supposed to go. I'm not, I'm not leaving this room. When you want it badly enough, when the situation is dire enough, when, when it brings you to your knees, when it breaks you to your core, that's when you start going after God and you're saying, God, I am not giving up. I am not relenting. Show yourself to me, and he will. God will always meet desperation. And sometimes it's in our greatest moments of desperation that we also have our greatest moments of expectation. Some of us just hadn't wanted, wanted it bad enough. Some of us just aren't desperate enough. Some of us just haven't gotten to the bottom yet. Some of us just haven't reached that limit of, of I've got to have it, I've got to see it, I've got to find it, I've got to discover it. But God will meet that. I said God will meet that. God will meet that cry. After he gave the parable of the sower, remember if we start out back in Mark chapter four, verse one, it says he was communicating to a large crowd, a lot of people, so large that he had to get into a boat in the water because they were beginning to run him off the shore. Got into a boat out in the water ministering to this large crowd. But he turns to his disciples and gives them the explanation. There's a difference between the crowd and the disciple. There's a difference between the large crowd that's just coming because of the famous speaker that's in town. And yeah, have you ever noticed that Jesus had to come to the crowds, but the disciples went after Jesus? You ever notice that the crowds only, only went after him or followed him when he was around? But the disciples, they went everywhere with him. They'd go to the other side, as we're about to see. They'd cross to the other town. They would leave things behind that were near and dear to them. They left their families. They left their jobs. They left their homes. They left comfortability. They, they left familiarity. They left everything they knew to run after, go after Jesus. All at a word, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. That's all it took. The crowd, they're after the flash. They're after the fizzle. They're after the, the, the razzle-dazzle. They're after the, the, all the stuff that looks good, all the glitz and the glam. But when it comes down to it, they have a limit to how far they will go. They have a limit to how far they will understand. And, and Jesus told them, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Why? You've made the investment. You've made the investment. He told his disciples, you can receive this revelation. In verse 34, it says, he did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. Privately, 
he explained everything to his own disciples. See, this is the difference between information and revelation. This here is the difference between information and revelation. Information and revelation come from the same source. It's the same Jesus giving the parables. It's also the same Jesus explaining the parables. What was the determining factor between information and revelation? The crowd received information. They were there for a good story. They were there, uh, oh yeah, you know, four different types of ground. I wonder why the seed didn't grow on that, that stony ground. I wonder why the seed got, got, you know, got choked out like that by those thorns. I wonder what, you know, what does he mean by that? Oh, you know, I don't know. And they leave it at that. But his disciples said, what are you talking about? Explain this to us. Because we don't want just more information. We need revelation. Why was Jesus able to give revelation to his disciples, but only information to the crowd? It was their level of investment. Your level of investment determines if you go from information to revelation. Your level of investment determines, is this just information to you? Or have you bought in enough that you are worthy of receiving the revelation of the word of God? Revelation from Jesus. I need revelation, not just information. I cannot live off of information. The world is full of information. Have you noticed this? The world is full of it. We have information at our, an overload of information. It's like trying to drink out of a fire hydrant. You get overloaded with it. You type in one sentence in Google and it'll give you hundreds of thousands of responses. I need revelation. I, I, I could post on on. Facebook, what should, here, here's a predicament I'm in, and, and what should I do about it? And you'll get 10 different responses from 10 different people. You'll get 100 different responses. For, you'll get responses from people you never even heard about. But they will be quick to tell you their opinion, to tell you what they think, to tell you their experience. Well, this is what I did when this happened to me. That's information. Information won't change your life. I said information won't change your life. The disciples did not follow Jesus for an education. The disciples followed Jesus for a life change. He promised them a life of giving away. He promised them a life. He said, what will it be to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? But you, you can take up your cross and you can follow me. And even though they may not have fully known what they were stepping into and walking into, Jesus was about to lead them down a life of not just education, not just collecting a bunch of information, but turning them into world changers. Those same disciples, the crazy 12 that followed him everywhere, it was later written of them in the book of Acts that these men turned the world upside down. Not because they gained a bunch of information in their minds, but because they had a revelation, a revelation. It says privately he explained everything to his own disciples. How much you're willing to give determines how far you're willing to go. 
how much you're willing to give determines how far you're willing to go. Why could Jesus share privately with his disciples the revelation of these parables and not just leave them on an information level. It's because they had proven to him their level of investment. We'll leave behind our fathers. We'll leave behind our mothers. We'll leave behind our wives. We'll leave behind our jobs. We'll leave behind our comfort. We'll we'll leave behind everything we've ever known to follow you. And Jesus said, that is someone that I can reveal myself to. That is someone I can make revelation knowledge known to. That's someone that privately I can explain everything to you. The bottom line is givers go farther. I said the bottom line is givers will always go farther. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And I'm not just talking about money. But in any area of your life, if you're not willing to be a giver, if you're not willing to be all in, if you're not willing to let go and lay behind and cut things off and eliminate and and do what's necessary to move forward with Jesus, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller, but the world of the generous gets bigger and bigger. The ones that keep have less than the ones that give away. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? We're talking about the difference between consumers and contributors. We're talking about the difference between just simply being a consumer of something. But other than that is one that contributes and one that gives in and one that invests and one that buys in with everything they have. And that was the difference between the disciples and the crowd. Yeah, we can all cry out and say, God, reveal your will. And God, I want to know this. And God, I want to see this. But the question really is not the measure of how badly will you cry out. It's what will you do to show I'm all in? What will you invest? What will you let go of? What will you eliminate? I mean, we tell God we want all of him. We just sing it. But does he have all of you? Does he have all of you? I want everything you have for me. I want to know what the next plan is. I want to know what the next step is. And he's saying, I've been asking you for five years to let this go. And you haven't. What if everything from God was one step away? One step away. One obedient step away. Obedience. Obedience is probably the most underrated thing in in, in the life of a believer. Just simple obedience. Forgive them. Simple obedience. Take this step. Do this. And and God is not a, 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 a a rule giver. He, he's not just looking for boxes in your life to check off. It's, it's, it's seeing bigger that following his plan is the greatest thing for my life. Buying into his plan all in is the greatest thing for my life. And anything I could hope or wish for, he can do bigger and greater. He can do above and beyond. He can do exceedingly abundantly 
above all we ask or think. You can think it, you can dream it, you can ask for it, but he is willing to give it to you. But it's one, what if it was one simple act that differentiated you, distinguished you between the crowd and the disciple? The one that just gathers when, 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 when it's comfortable, that just gathers when that's what everybody else is doing? Or can you be the one that will stand by his side when everyone is coming against him? Can you be the minority? Can you be in the group that is not collected on the, on the, the wide road? It says narrow is the road. Narrow is the road. And few, few, few take it. He turns to a few and he privately explains everything to his own disciples. How much are you willing to give? Because that's what determines how far you're willing to go. Verse 35, it says, On that day, when evening had come, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. Now, who's them? Did he broadcast that to the whole group? Did he broadcast that to the whole crowd? Did he say, all right, all 5,000 of you? I mean, we know at times the multitudes got upwards of 5,000, right? That was just men. We weren't even counting the women and children. We know that he could bring a crowd. We know he had a following. We know that he had an attractiveness to his ministry, that he, he was saying things people had never heard before. He was ministering in ways never, people had never heard before. He was doing things that, that people had only heard about in, in the Old Testament, but had never actually seen these types of miracles and signs and wonders take place, not on the scale that he was doing it. His ministry had an attractiveness to it. But when he says, let's cross to the other side, verse 36 tells us, so they left the crowd. So they left the crowd. And took him along, watch this, since he was in the boat. So they left the crowd. So we can assume he's talking about those disciples who he privately explained his parables to. Now he's looking at these few. And look, they wouldn't even be in this predicament if we didn't have Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Mark chapter 4 verse 1 says, Again he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down. Why do they get to go to the other side with Jesus? Because they invested in his ministry. Will you let Jesus use your boat? I said, will you let Jesus use your boat? Large crowd coming that he's, man, I need to get out into the water to be able to address the have great pulpit. This will be a great opportunity to minister from this boat to the crowd. That's all they did. It wasn't made their boat available. That's all they did. 
It wasn't some great spiritual service. It, it, it wasn't, you know, doing some, some great spirit. I mean, all they're doing is, I have a resource. Here, you use it. What can God use in your life as a platform to minister to someone? What can God use in your life as a pulpit of declaration, as a place that he can proclaim, as a place that he can... Can you let Jesus, whatever you need, you have access to it. I, it doesn't have to be something super spiritual. It doesn't even have to happen in this building. It's going to happen out in your daily life. It's going to happen out in the world. You're going to let God use your influence, use your purpose, use your business, use your finance, use your gift, use your ability. The reason why this man's ministry is what it is today is because he allowed God to use a gift a gift. It doesn't mean you have all the answers. Just let him in the boat. Just let him use your boat. Let him use your gift. Some of you are phenomenal at speaking. Some of you are, are great at, at, at attracting crowds and, and, and putting together events. Some of you are great at decorating. Some of you, you have gifts and abilities that you've been letting go by the wayside. God can't use this. And you're missing moments every day to let Jesus use your boat. He's the one preaching the gospel. He's the one ministering to the sick. He's the one meeting the needs. But he wants to use your vessel. He wants to use your boat. He wants to use your ability. He wants to use your life to proclaim it from. And then when the moment comes that Jesus calls you out further, let's go to the other side. You don't get a beckoning call to go to the other side, to go with Jesus, unless you let him use your stuff. Unless you let him use your stuff. It was a contributor that now has become the Uber service, the taxi service, the driving service, the cruise lines. Right here. This is the, the what, Royal Caribbean? This is the first one right here. They got the king of kings in their boat. That's the Royal Caribbean. That's the cruise line you want to be on right there. I don't know anything about the Royal Caribbean. I just picked it because it had the word royal with it. And he's a king. He says, let's cross over to the other side. And so they left the crowd. There's going to be a time where you got to leave the crowd. What differentiates, what sets you apart? Look, we already saw through the parable of the sower that revelation requires a response. Revelation requires a response. The word of God is only as powerful in your life as the level to which you respond to it. I said the word of God is only as powerful in your life as to the level you Respond to it. It's not the word that changes your life. It's the word that you apply that changes your life. It's the word you put into practice. It's the word you respond to. 
Out of all four scenarios, there was a response that was needed. The one that landed on the good soil was the one that responded to the word with joy immediately when they heard it. They didn't allow it to go to the wayside. And they meditated on it so it took root. And they eliminated the things that would choke it back later in growth. They were the ones that were productive. They were the ones that bore fruit. They were the ones that that brought the 30, 60, and 100 fold. It was their level of response. So now Jesus is testing their level of response. You let me use your boat. Now will you take me to the other side? He says, let's go to the other side. And they left the crowd. And other boats were with him. It says a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Didn't we hear that a few weeks ago? Was it Martha that said, Don't you care? Come on, we've all been in don't you care, God, situations. God, do you even care I'm in this mess? Do you Look, I'm telling you right now, a response is demanded. A response is required. But responding to the word doesn't guarantee you a, a life on the, 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 the smooth coasts of the ocean and, and that everything's going to go just your way. It just means that Jesus is in the boat with you when the storm shows up. Hello? A response to following Jesus. Man, I gave you my boat. I I became your service to get you to the other. And this is what I get. I get a storm in my life. I get these rains in my life. I get the break. Look, the storm's coming either way. You want Jesus in the boat with you. You want the master in the boat with you. And I don't have any don't you care God. I'm thankful that I'm in the boat with the master. And no matter what comes against me, it's not greater than what I have on the inside of me. I let him use my boat. I ain't going down like this. I said, I ain't going down like this. Don't you care that we're going to die? He got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, silence. Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. We got two different responses to this storm. We have the disciples that are in fear, and we have Jesus that almost seems, um, it almost seems as if he has no idea there's a storm even happening. I mean, we have two I mean, we don't even have Jesus in faith through the storm. He's sleeping. He's asleep. He has completely ignored the storm. Man, I tell you what, when you get faith built up in you, you'll ignore the things that everybody else is afraid of. I said, you'll just sleep right through it. You'll act like it's not even there. And people will look at you and say, don't you care? Don't you care? 
That there's a virus? Don't you care that we don't know who the president is? Don't you care that our kids are at home and they can't even go to school like they're supposed to? Don't you care that our jobs are on the line? Don't you care that the fear is coming against our minds? Don't you care? And you're just going to be sleeping at peace right through the anxiety, right through the fear, right through the pressure, right through the sickness, right through the appointments, right through the reports. Who has believed the report of the Lord? What was the report? He said, let's go to the other side. That's what he said. Look, Jesus never takes a day off from bringing revelation. He doesn't speak the word. He is the word. Before he was Jesus, he was the word. Before he was the man in the flesh, he was the word in the spirit with God in heaven. In the beginning was the word. So when he says, let's go to the other side, that's just as valuable as when he says, silence, be still. That's just as valuable as when he's giving a parable. That's just as valuable as when he's explaining the, it's all revelation when it comes to Jesus. So when he says the words, let's go to the other side, they should have taken that right there. He said, we going to the other side and nothing else he has said has failed to come to pass. This is the word of God made flesh and he's dwelling among us. If we says go to the other side, we're going to the other side. We're making it to the other side. And nothing that I see is more powerful than the word I have received. So when it comes to the word of God, the word of God is not a matter of what you hear. It's a matter of what you see. And you hear information, but you see revelation. This is why I can't stay at an information level. Because information is merely heard and disposed of. Revelation is seen and acted upon. Revelate, you don't hear revelation, you see revelation. That's why it's called revealed. You see it. And even though I might not see it on the outside, I already saw it in the spirit. I saw it before I saw it. So God's word can't just be something I hear. It's got to become something I see. I see it with my spiritual eyes. That's why Paul prayed for the church at uh, Ephesus and the, and the church at Colossae and the, the church at Philippi. And, and he prayed to these churches, may they have May you give to them, grant to them the spirit of illumination, illumination and wisdom and understanding. I'll tell you what, knowledge, knowledge alone helps nobody. Knowledge alone. In fact, knowledge to a foolish person will destroy them. I can prove it to you, Matthew chapter 7. Knowledge to a foolish person, and we're going to define a foolish person. So that way you can walk out of here knowing if you're foolish or not. I'm serious. You need to know. Can I have by show of hands all the hands of the foolish people? I got one. One honest person. 
Yeah, we wouldn't raise our hand real quick on that one. But Matthew chapter 7 will let you know. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded that house. Notice even the wise man gets his house pounded on. Even the wise man gets the rains coming. Even the wise man has the rivers rising. Even the wise man has the storms coming. Even the wise man will endure and engage the trials and tribulations that are in the world. Even the wise man does. Yet it doesn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, verse 26, and doesn't act on them. What's the common denominator? They heard. The difference is they didn't act. They heard. They heard it. They heard the same word the wise man had. They heard. We, you have, they're all on the same, they're all in the same church. They're on your row right now. The parable of the sower, all four counts. They heard the word, they heard the word, they heard the word, they heard the word. The seed that falls by the wayside, the one that heard the word but didn't respond immediately. The seed that doesn't take root, heard the word, but didn't apply it, didn't, put, didn't meditate on it. The seed that got choked out, heard the word, but didn't eliminate the junk. The seed that fell on good ground heard the word, understood it, and applied it, put it into practice. They all heard the word. They all hear the word. You are all hearing the word. Well, what's the difference between the wise and the foolish? But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the rivers rose, and the winds blew, and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. The foolish man. It's not even that he didn't build a house. I'm sure it was a pretty good-looking house. Got beachfront property. He built. A foolish man will take knowledge and think he's accomplished something. But unless we apply and we act on, we put into practice the word that we heal, that we hear, revelation always requires a response. What's the response that you will give? The disciples at this point have already walked with Jesus for so long. They've heard these parables. They've heard these stories. They, they've heard these truths minister to. But now their response is determining, did I just receive information or did I receive revelation? Did I just receive information? Or has this actually become revelation? Their response said, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Don't you care? That's what information says. When it doesn't line up with what you think, 
when it doesn't meet your agenda, when it doesn't align with your plan, then you start saying stuff like, don't you care? Or why should I even try? Or why should I keep going? We start having responses that are not out of faith. We start having responses that are contrary to the word because we didn't really let the word get down in our soil. We didn't really let the word go down as the parable of the sower taught us that we would understand it and that we would practice it and apply it. Jesus has called them out to the other side. These are contributors, not just consumers. They let him use the boat. Now they get an opportunity to go on a, on a mission trip. You find in chapter five, the beginning of chapter five, that the first man that they're greeted with is a demon-possessed man. That's a mission trip. We're going into the mission field. You can stay on the shore if you want to, but the shore is for consumers. The sea is for contributors. Hello? He's calling you out into the shore. He's calling, he's calling you out into the sea. He's calling you away from the shore. He's calling you away from the comfort. He's calling you away from the familiarity. He's calling you away from where the crowd is. Don't follow the crowd. Follow Jesus. Follow his words. But it's isolated out there. It's dark out there. It's stormy out there. But you have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus in the storm than know Jesus on the shore. I said, I'd rather have Jesus in the midst of the storm. All hell breaking loose. I'm about to lose my life, but I've got the master in my boat. I would much rather be in that situation. Don't find me comfortable on the shore surrounded by the crowd just saying, man, thank goodness we're not out there with Jesus and those crazy disciples. Look what they got themselves into. I'd rather be out there because there's lost people on the other side. There's broken people on the other side. There's demon-possessed people on the other side. There's sick people on the other side. And they need Jesus. Get in my boat. Let's go. No storm stopping me. That's where I want to be found. Teacher, don't you care? Verse 40, he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? See, when we hear the word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When I hear the word, it should build my faith. Jesus had an expectation. You just heard me minister these parables. I explained to you their meaning. We had an in-depth conversation. I mean, I know how Jesus feels sometimes because sometimes I'm thinking, I just preached that on Sunday and we're meeting about it on Monday. <laughs> and I've done the same thing. I've done the same thing. I've preached it on Sunday and fought it on Monday. It's because I didn't allow it to become revelation. It's because I didn't allow it to go deep down. You still have no faith? You should have faith by now. You, you should have faith. Faith in what? Well, up to that point, they had faith in his words. 
But look at this next phrase. And they were terrified, verse 41, and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Now get a hold of this. Get a hold of this. This is the kicker. He says, you have no faith. Why are you afraid? And they ask a question with the man who they were supposed to have been closer to than anybody else. Who is this man? Who is this? Even the wind and the seas obey. And Jesus is saying, I'm not done revealing myself yet. There's more to me than you've seen so far. I'm showing you another side you hadn't. See, this is why you can't ever turn off Revelation. It's why you can't ever stop seeing with your spiritual eyes because you can look at the same thing you've always seen, but God wants to show you another side you've never seen before. He said, look, there's some things that get revealed on the shore and there's some things that you just won't see until you get into the storm, until you take the step of faith and you're gonna say, who is? I didn't know God could do this. I didn't know God could restore that. I didn't know God could forgive this. I didn't know God could overcome that. I didn't know Jesus could do this. And he's going to say you hadn't seen nothing yet because I'm going to reveal a side of me you have not even come to know you saw me on the shore but I'm a different man in the boat I'm a different man in the storm so we're not going to live comfortable on the shore with our little parable Jesus share your stories with me Jesus tell me another story give me another truth No, I'm going to come to know the Jesus that I will only see when I take the step of faith. I'm going to get to know the Jesus that you only get to know when everything is falling apart around you. You don't get to see the Jesus that rebukes the winds and waves if you don't have winds and waves. We're not talking about churchy Jesus. We're not talking about the Jesus that carries sheep everywhere he goes. We're not talking about the Jesus that just blesses people. We're talking about the Jesus that is going to save you from the pit of hell. We're talking about the Jesus that is going to shut up every demon in your life. We're talking about the Jesus that is going to kick over everybody that has a different agenda and a different plan that doesn't align with his kingdom. This is the Jesus you only see in the trials and tribulations. Worship team, if you'd come. 2019 might have been the shore, and 2020 might be the storm, but I want you to be thankful this morning that you got in the boat with Jesus this year. I want you to be thankful that you started out this year and you said, no matter what comes, this is the plan God has for my life. This is, I thought we were just going to the other side. I didn't realize this was all, but you're still in the boat. I said, you're still in the boat. Leave Jesus in the boat with you. And you're going to see a side of Jesus you would have never seen. I heard someone say the other day, don't let 2020 go to waste. Don't let this year pass without recognizing he's been in the boat with you the whole time. 
And I know you've had some moments, God, don't you care? Don't you care what they're saying? Don't you care about what's happening around us? Don't you care what they're doing? Don't you care what these individuals are trying to start? Don't you care about all that's going on? And he's, he's, he's peacefully sleeping, saying, I told you we get to the other side. I said, let's cross to the other side. I said it, and my word then is just as powerful as my word now. And if I said we would get to the other side, you will get to the other side, and you're going to see a side of me. Oh, they got to the other side. They got to the other side of Jesus. They got to the other side of Jesus. Who is this? Who is this? Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.